Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. To, uh, to share a few thoughts with you about what I would like to call the queen of the virtues, gratitude. I know from AA friends that this is a subject that is discussed and felt and talked about and used as topic for discussion at meetings in AA and has been so discussed from the beginning. There is, as perhaps you are well aware, a profound sense of gratitude in the hearts of practically all alcoholics. Gratitude itself is a virtue that stems automatically by its nature from the heart of a receiver, one who has received. And I think the deeper the need that has been fulfilled, the deeper the sense of gratitude. As you know, the alcoholic reaches a point in his life where he simply admits powerlessness. He says he's hopeless and he's helpless and he goes to a power greater than himself and as much as says, you have what I want, you have what I do not have, please. And when it is given, the sense, this feeling of liberation and freedom causes a sense and a feeling of gratitude to block them almost immediately and stay. I believe that the beauty of gratitude, like the beauty of anything, can best be seen in the ugliness of its opposite. How do you tell someone how beautiful is the scent of a rose? You can contrast it with the stench of garbage. And I think that the beauty of gratitude can best be seen in the ugliness of ingratitude. Ladies and gentlemen, no one can stand an ingrate. Even little kids who fail to say thank you, that there's something kind of repulsive about that. It may not be the child's fault. I think most of you who are parents constantly remind your children, say thank you, say thank you, say thank you. Gratitude is one of the most beautiful adornments of the human soul. In fact, a friend of mine calls gratitude the Paschal candle in the cathedral of the human soul, which lends it light and warmth. I believe that gratitude is what makes little people big. Gratitude transforms a small heart into a big one. Gratitude is the loveliest, I think, of them all. The ugliness of ingratitude, I've always referred to it as the halitosis of the soul. It is the only thing that makes God turn his face aside. I heard a man say that the prayer of the ingrate is an insult to the face of God. 
because the ingrate is reaching as high as he can reach to get, and the grateful person stoops as low as he can stoop to give. Because implicit ingratitude is the desire to share the gift. I have heard it said that gratitude is the only coin with which man can buy God. I feel very strongly, and I hope not irreverently, I do not mean to be flippant when I say that God is a sucker for gratitude. Why is it that gratitude occupies such time in the thought and in the speech of the alcoholic? I think that to appreciate the beauty of sobriety, one has to contrast it with the ugliness of the disease. There's a lot of medical research that has given us a whole lot of facts about this disease. A physiological addiction to a chemical. But you and I know from the words of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, that the most powerful descriptive definition of this disease is soul sickness. It is a physical disease whose repercussions are mainly spiritual. The human body is one of the most magnificent machines ever devised. It can stand punishment and pain almost beyond imagination. How many hundreds, hundreds of hangovers does the average alcoholic go through in a lifetime? How often have people been this far from death and survived? And in the treatment end of this disease, those who are involved in it know that some people who come close to death are up and about within a matter of days. I'm not saying that it doesn't damage permanently. In some cases, it does. In some cases, the brain damage is irreparable. Sometimes liver damage is irreparable. But in the main, the human body bounces back and bounces back and bounces back from a lot of things. The damage, as I've said this so many times in so many other talks, but I think it is of utmost importance tonight to understand the depth and the nature of this illness. It robs us of freedom, I heard a man say. Freedom. This is the one ingredient essential to the human being to fulfill the purpose for which he was created, to love God, to love neighbor as he loves self. If he isn't free, he can't love. If he isn't free, he can't fulfill the purpose for which God made him. And so he winds up frustrated. He winds up isolated from those three things. The three relationships he was created to have are all but destroyed. He's isolated from God because he isn't living the way he knows God intended him to live. Because he's living against his conscience. Every alcoholic lives for a greater or lesser period of time in denial. But denial is a prostitution of the soul. The human mind is built for truth, not lying, not fallacy, not misconception, not half-truth. It's built for truth. And it is prostituted when it allows itself to accept and spread the lie. And the alcoholic not only verbalizes the lie, he lives it. 
the alcoholic lives a lie. Does not the alcoholic function in such a way as to try to get others to believe he's not drinking when he's drinking? Does he not cover up his drinking? Does he not lie about the escapades and on and on? And he does this for years. You cannot trample on your conscience without pain. So many alcoholics have been isolated from God to such a degree that many of them say there simply is no God that handles that problem. When Bill Wilson, the co-founder of AA, went out to people saying, get right with God and you'll be able to quit drinking, half of them turned him off. One change was made in the 12 steps. In step two, he had said, we came to believe that God could restore us to sanity. And that term God was so threatening, he had to substitute a much more generic term until the alcoholic had enough freedom from alcohol to be able to accept in the third step God as we understood him. If a person is not living according to the rules that God has laid down and figures in his own sense of guilt that he is displeasing to God, how can he have any kind of peace within himself? He hates himself. Uh, perhaps you've heard me say so many times that the greatest blessing God can give an alcoholic is to enable him to look into a mirror and just experience a desire to vomit because he can't stand what he's looking at. Uh, by the way, uh, I can take seriousness for so long, but I was just reminded of a wonderful Hal Roach story. He's Ireland's wonderful comic. He's talking about an Irishman who's walking home drunk one night with a pint in his pocket, and he fell. And when he got up and started to stagger home, he felt this trickle going down his leg, and he prayed, please, God, let it be just blood. And it was. And he got home, and the wife was snoring. She was asleep, and he snuck by her into the bathroom. And he took his clothes off, and he had a nick or two on his backside. And he was trying to see it, and he couldn't. Well, anyway, he reached for the Band-Aid, and when his job was done, back into bed, he crept. And in the morning when he woke up, he pretended that he had gone to bed earlier than he had. And she was furious. She said, he was drunk last night. Ah, oh, no, darling. He says, I wasn't drunk at all. She said, I knew you was drunk the minute I walked in the bathroom and saw the band-aids on the mirror. <laughs> you see, the disease does do things to alcoholics and makes them function in a rather wacky way. And I've often said that if we didn't laugh, we'd cry as we discuss this disease. The alcoholic is then isolated from fellow humans. Who was it that said the alcoholic is alone in a crowd? Whoever said that didn't even come close. The loneliness in the heart of the alcoholic is indescribable. He's like a swimmer, isolated under the surface of the water, knowing that soon his lungs will burst and it'll all be over. He's like a prisoner, locked alone with no jailer around. He wonders whether he will ever be free. All of a sudden, somebody leads him to the garden of sobriety and opens the door and ushers him through. It's like the swimmer whose head bursts 
the surface of the water and air is there and he fills his lungs with it. And the fellow who walks into the garden of sobriety and there is the well of sobriety and he gulps its pure water as if there were no tomorrow. And this feeling of being set free enters his soul. And he wants to tell the world about it. I think in AA, I have heard at open meetings many, many AA stories. And I have heard people of all ages, all stations in life, proclaim their gratitude for their sobriety. But this is what I hear. Whole lists of things to be grateful for, and very rarely, for whatever reason, I don't know, very rarely do I hear AAs say what they do to express the gratitude for these things. Every one of us, every one of us on earth, has a list, a litany of things to be grateful for. The alcoholic who describes himself as bankrupt in every way, body, mind, emotion, and soul, has practically everything to be grateful for. Number one is his life. Sobriety is life. You and I know that this is a terminal illness. If the alcoholic does not stop the drinking, ultimately it will stop him. And so automatically all alcoholics have a list of things that each has to be grateful for. They differ in emphasis, they differ in degree, but fundamentally all of these things every alcoholic has on his list. Peace of mind and peace of soul, this thing that we call serenity. It now exists in the heart of the alcoholic in place of the confusion, the utter, complete confusion that had existed before. He doesn't know which end is up precisely because he has lived with a drugged brain. He's in a fog. Everything is hazy. Everything is gray. The fog has lifted. The confusion is gone. He knows what to do. Trust God, clean house, help others. Dr. Bob's six-word summary of the 12th step. He knows that if he is to stay alive and to be happy, he tries to live these 12 principles of rational behavior. And so the confusion is replaced with this wonderful sense of settling, serenity and peace. One of the things that he has missed most is respect for himself. How often have any of you in AA meetings ever heard this expression? I like me now. And I like me now because I'm living the way I believe God intends me to live. And so, self-hatred is replaced with self-respect. The confidence that I am a human being, I am capable of living, I am capable of accomplishing, above all else, I am capable of helping another human being. Self-confidence replaces the utter helplessness. The alcoholic says, I couldn't even help myself. How in the world could I help somebody else? Now he can. Now he can. Faith. A deepening of his faith in a power greater than self because he has experienced it. And it takes the place of despair. I have often said, despair is one thing printed on the sheet 
of a theology textbook. It's another thing to experience it here. Again, like a lot of pain, it's indescribable. Hope takes the place of desperation. I have heard at graduations in treatment centers these words. When I walked in the front door of this place, I simply felt hopeless. It was hope. This was my third or fourth or fifth treatment. This will be another of the same. There was just no hope. Courage takes the place of fear. I've heard a man say, when I was drinking, I used to believe that people could smell my fear. I reeked of it. They always speak, always speak of the irrational fears in the soul of the alcoholic. He's scared of death and doesn't know what he's scared of. Fear is a universal feeling in the souls of alcoholics and addicts of all kinds. Fear. Don't know what you're afraid of. Just afraid. Afraid of the mail. Afraid when a telephone rings. Adult people, physically adult people, scared to death when the phone rings. Those fears are gone. It's replaced with courage. The alcoholic says, I can do things now I could never do before. I attempt things now that I would have been scared to death even to think of before. I walk up to strangers and offer them my hand and my help and my hope now. I would never have dreamed of doing that before. The respect of others. I wonder how many of you listening here right now have ever asked these questions. Will I ever again have the respect of those who used to respect me? Will I ever stop causing pain in the lives of those who love me? All of these questions had a kind of a note of desperation to them. But now I have the respect of other people, he says. I've earned it. I always tell alcoholics, if people mistrust you, they have a right to mistrust you. How many, how many promises were broken? A couple of hundred? A couple of thousand? How many promises to oneself have been broken? As the alcoholic says, in my heart of hearts, the next time will be different. And it is different, it's worse. The broken promises. How in the name of God can I ever again in my life ever be trusted? I will be trusted if I become trustworthy. And there's only one way to do that. Stay sober today. And when tomorrow comes, do it again. And then do it again. And again. And the contempt of others. And above all, the pity. The pitying pity of others. Changes to respect. A clear conscience in place of guilt. Ladies and gentlemen, I have always said, basically, serenity is nothing more than peace of conscience. I'm living as I know I ought to be living. What will I do with all the hours I spent drinking? 
This is a question practically every alcoholic asks. God, I spend days in bars. I spend days in the loneliness of my room. So what will I do with all this time? Stay sober and you will pray for a 36-hour day. You will. There are too many people to help. The loneliness has given place to the friendship of true friends now. Hey, what's going to happen to my friends when I go home from treatment? What do I have to look forward to? Let me tell you something. I've always said for those leaving treatment, your true friends will be grateful. You're no longer an embarrassment to them. You're no longer acting like a twerp when you get drunk. You're a pleasure to have around. They actually invite you to their home. The rest will disappear because your sobriety will be an indictment of their drinking. What do you have to be grateful for? The courage to say no thanks when offered a drink. The courage even to say things that you wouldn't have been brave enough to say before. By the way, how do you ensure, if somebody keeps pressing you to drink, how can you ensure that after they ask you once, they will just not return? This way. Somebody comes up to you and says, would you care for a drink? You simply say, no thanks, but I'll take the money. <laughs> they will not bother you again. A very clear-cut pattern of living. It's laid out now, practice these principles in all our affairs. It takes the place of the confusion that is created by all the philosophies that are pretty prevalent out there, the philosophies of permissiveness, and you can take a choice. No more choice. I know what the rules are now. There's no more confusion. Difficulty in living the good life? Oh, yeah. Lots of difficulties, but it's clear. There's no more confusion. The joy of achievement. I have actually done something for somebody else. There's nothing on earth that takes place of that type of satisfaction. Satisfaction, to make enough, to fill yourself with this sense of completion, I have done something for another. That is the essence of fulfillment and happiness. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Wilson started with step 12 in order to discover the first 11. You know what the 12th step is? Happiness and fulfillment is available only through commitment to others. You don't seek happiness for self, you seek to love your brother and happiness and fulfillment result from that. And we discover that. Freedom from the obsession with alcohol. That, that is the gift. After the years of frustration and disappointment, which gives way to hostility and then anger and sometimes hatred, on the part of family members, all other things being equal is usually replaced ultimately with a deepening of the love from one's family. The biggest thing that most modern alcoholics have to be grateful for is the fact that they were born in this era. Born in the era of AA. There are certain cures for cancer that have not yet been discovered. We also live in that era. Someday there will be cures for certain illnesses that do not exist. The cures don't exist today. You and I live in the era of AA.
How many hundreds of thousands of alcoholics are alive today because two men got together in 1935? I once heard a, an American author speak at a banquet, and he listed the names of brilliant American writers who died of alcoholism because they weren't lucky to be born later when AA was around. Let me now just uh, for a moment share uh, something from the life of Christ. You're all familiar with the cure of the ten lepers. In, in the days of Christ, and up until modern times, lepers were isolated because they have a disease that is highly contagious. Uh, contagious. Uh, it's an ugly disease. It eats away at the external extremities of the human body. In his day, they were isolated in the hills. You know what was significant about their asking for help? They cried out from afar. They had been relegated to caves in the hills, and they had a yell to be heard, Son of David, have mercy on us. And he said, what, what, what do you want? He made them ask. Made them ask. God wants to be asked. He wants the alcoholic to acknowledge, you have what I don't have. May I please have some? And so he said, what do you want? They said, what do you mean, what do we want? We want to be clean. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. All right, on the way they were made whole. Please listen to this. I think it's important about this virtue of gratitude. I cannot help but believe that all ten felt grateful. You cannot have something like leprosy lifted from you without feeling something. I believe they all felt grateful. One acted. And the response of the giver was, Weren't ten made clean? Where are the other nine? And so, I remember once a man saying to me, he said, I was shocked almost out of my seat one night in an AA meeting when a fellow got up and he said, my name is so-and-so and I'm a grateful alcoholic. And he said, it struck me. I hadn't thought of gratitude for three weeks. And he said, it worried me half sick. I know we have to be grateful. A man I know defines gratitude as the hinge on which the sober life swings. It is the essential. You ever heard this? If you do this, you'll get drunk. If you do that, you get drunk. I've heard people threaten brand new alcoholics almost to death. Do that, you get drunk. Don't do this, you'll get drunk. So I know people who do it all and stay sober. Wouldn't give you a dime for their sobriety, but there are people, and you know, a bunch of them too, they live their own lives, but they don't drink. I do not see how anyone can remain sober without gratitude. It is the hinge on which the sober life swings. You don't have to feel grateful, you have to be grateful. And I think that the essence of gratitude is step 12 of the AA program. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that the depth and the seriousness with which a person works the AA program depends directly on the depth and the seriousness with which he accepts his condition in step one, in which he says, I, I am an alcoholic. All right? All the first 11 steps are nothing but a preparation for the 12th. No one gives away what he doesn't have. Now, the wording of the step. 
having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, all of these steps have given the alcoholic a spiritual awakening as a preface to we tried to carry the message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. The first 11 steps are a preparation for doing what God created you to do, thou shalt love. The tenth leper was grateful. He, as well as the other nine, felt it. He acted. I have heard it said, don't tell me you're grateful. Show me. I remember once a young man, a friend of mine, happened to be an alcoholic, a member of AA, and uh, he said that he had become disillusioned one Saturday night. He was on answering service for his area. And he had a list of 12 steppers. Now, these are volunteers. These are volunteers. Here's my name. Here's my phone number. And he said that a fellow at an 8.30 meeting had had that whole room in tears with how grateful he was for his sobriety. He said he was absolutely brilliant, articulate and wonderful. He gave a whole litany of things like this that he was grateful for. And he literally had everybody in tears. When I come home from work now, my little girl hugs me around the neck and says, I love you, Daddy. I'm able to eat a meal and enjoy it. I'm able to experience and find happiness in the uh, beauty of nature. I mean, when the great, let's talk for an hour of how grateful he was. About an hour and a half after that AA meeting, this fellow got a call. A drunk was in need. Lived around the corner from this man. And he called him. He said, I have your name here. You're on the list, 12 steps. He said, there's a fellow called for help. Can you take the call? And this was the response. I'm tired. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are grateful for anything, you won't have to tell me. I'll see it. I'll see it. The twelfth step is called putting the money where the mouth is. Don't tell me, show me. The greatest thing that we should be grateful for, paradoxically enough, is God's gift of pain. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Who likes pain? You don't have to like it. You just have to be grateful for it. In my opinion, pain is the fertilizer for spiritual growth. We use horse manure on rose bushes. We use a lot of fertilizer of different kinds for different things. Pain is the fertilizer for human growth. How can we pray to God to remove our shortcomings and then gripe at the way he does? <laughs> he always hands us painful circumstances of life in order to help us acquire these virtues that we're asking for to replace the defects of character. Somebody once said, how come every time I ask God for a blessing, it always comes to me wrapped up in a brick bat? 
fellow said, I never knew they came any other way. Spiritual children thank God for the ice cream cones of life. Adults thank God for the pain that brought it. I once heard a woman say, I'm very, very grateful for my sobriety, but I cannot understand these people who say they're grateful for being alcoholics. How in the name of heavens can you be grateful for a disease? I don't think she understood the lesson that life teaches. I'm not criticizing her. She was very young in her sobriety, and I'm sure, I just feel certain that she must feel different now. Isn't it your alcoholism that has given you appreciation of sobriety? I always tell non-alcoholics, you really don't know what sobriety is. You've never lost it. You have nothing to contrast it with, really. You can imagine that you really don't know. Pain is the most wasted resource on earth. We never use it in the sense of accepting it and offering it up to God. There is an expression of gratitude, and nobody knows it but God and me. But gratitude is really expressed in carrying the message of sobriety to somebody else. Bill Wilson proved that by doing it. He proved it by doing it. The loveliest definition of gratitude I have ever heard in my life. It is the golden tray for which I offer to others what God has given me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm 63 years of age. I believe that my life is well over half over. I don't think I'm in the twilight zone yet, but I can see dust beginning to settle. And my one startling fear is very real because I know whereof I speak. It's not being grateful enough for what has come my way on this earth. It scares me. Oh, I can talk a good gratitude. Anybody can. That's easy. That's the easy part. But I know where I've failed, and it frightens me. The shortest, and I would hope to the dear Lord, the most effective prayer I say is one in which I try to order God every morning of my life. Make me grateful. Make me grateful. A lovely, realistic prayer. You've all heard it, I'm sure. Thank you for what you've given. Thank you for what you've taken away. And thank you for what you've left me. I think it takes greatness of soul to say that and mean it. I don't know whether I'm capable of doing that 100%. But I do know this, for what it's worth, I do have feelings. I am grateful for many things. A lot of this, but above all else, for you. And a lot of people like you who have made my life worthwhile. I thank you for that, and good night.
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.